journey. Two episodes a month will have an additional interview with a well-known author and sprinkled in along the way will be additional Romans 828 stories from our She Writes for Him boot camp graduates and others the Lord brings my way. So let's get started. Welcome to today's episode of the All Things Podcast. I am going to introduce you today to our newest Redemption Press author, Charlene Quint, to spotlight her new book, Overcoming the Narcissist, Sociopath, Psychopath, and Other Domestic Abusers, The Comprehensive Handbook to Recognize, Remove, and Recover from Abuse. Well, I'll tell you what, this is... One of the most important books I believe Redemption Press has ever published. And this is an issue. It's really an epidemic that just seems to be lurking in the shadows. Even in our churches, it is happening. And it's happening at very much the same rate that it's happening outside the church. This is something that most pastors don't want to admit could be going on and is going on in their congregation. So I consider this an honor to be able to bring you this information and to be able to help educate those who need to help their congregations and to help their friends and maybe even family members that are struggling with some form of domestic abuse. So before I roll that conversation that I had earlier this week with Charlene, I would like to introduce her properly. Charlene Quint is a family law attorney in the Chicago area who focuses her practice on helping women overcome domestic abuse. She wrote Overcoming the Narcissist, Sociopath, Psychopath, and Other Domestic Abusers to help victims of domestic abuse become the fearless victors that God designed them to be. She is the founder of abusecare.org, which is a non-denominational faith-based organization designed to provide hope and healing to women in their journey from victim to victorious and to educate and equip churches in caring for victims of domestic abuse. Quint is co-chair of the Partnership for a Safer Lake County, a network of organizations combating all forms of abuse. She is a certified domestic violence professional an advocate for victims of abuse, a facilitator of multiple support groups, and a domestic abuse survivor. She speaks publicly to raise awareness of domestic abuse and provides training for churches on how to address abuse in the church. Prior to starting her law firm, she was a corporate attorney with Chicago law firm Schiff Harden LLP, focusing on privacy laws and cybersecurity. She began her law career as a federal law clerk for the Honorable Morton Denlow in the Northern District of Illinois. Prior to her law career, she served as the chief financial officer of Probus Publishing, a Chicago publishing house. She began her financial career at Arthur Anderson and Company. 
She graduated summa cum laude from Augustana College and magna cum laude from Loyola University of Chicago Law School. Quint has served on the Board of Regents and as an adjunct professor of Trinity International University on the board of the Ossobel Institute, a Christian Institute of Environmental Studies, and on the board of her local church. She has written numerous articles, has contributed to a few books, and is the author of three books. Charlene is a wife, mother of three, and active in the worship team at her local church. Normally, I share little-known facts about our authors and those that I interview on the podcast, but instead, I am going to share some little-known facts from Charlene about domestic abuse. First, domestic abuse is the most reported crime, but also the most underreported crime. Our law enforcement sees just the tip of the iceberg. Second, the number of women domestic abuse affects is astounding. 35% of women at some point in their lives will experience stalking, severe physical abuse, or rape. And nearly half will experience emotional and verbal abuse or coercive control. Those numbers are the same for women of faith as for those with no faith. That is shameful. We need to teach our daughters to be discerning and our sons to be respectful. Our families and our churches are not doing a very good job of this. Third, domestic abuse is more than just hitting someone. It also includes emotional, verbal, financial, physical, sexual, and spiritual abuse. Emotional and verbal abuse occurs in 100% of abusive relationships. That is the intent of the abuser to emotionally hurt his partner. Financial abuse occurs in 99% of abusive relationships. That's how an abuser keeps his victim in abuse. Physical abuse occurs in 98% of abusive relationships. Spiritual abuse, that is twisting the scriptures to support abuse or keep a victim in abuse, occurs in every abusive relationship where religious faith is important to the victim. Sexual assault, that is rape, occurs in about 70% of abusive relationships, and in 80% of those cases, it occurs repeatedly. But rape is the most underreported and underprosecuted of all crimes. Of a thousand rapes, only 230 are reported to police, only 46 rapists are arrested, and only nine are prosecuted, with only four resulting in incarceration. That means 99.6% of rapists go free. If the rape occurred in a marriage or long-term relationship, only 6% are ever even reported. We need to do better. Our churches need to do better. Our courts need to do better. So let's go to that interview and you can hear from Charlene and get an idea what we're dealing with here and what you can do to make a difference. 
Well, Charlene, I have been looking forward to this time together. Uh, welcome to the All Things Podcast. It is great to have you on today. Well, thank you for having me, Athena. This is, uh, this is exciting. I'm happy to be here. You bet. Well, I thought it was appropriate for Domestic Violence Awareness Month to really spotlight your new book and um, really uh, dig in and unpack uh, the, just so many areas. And so I'm glad we're going to spend the whole time today talking about overcoming the narcissist, sociopath, psychopath, and other domestic abusers the comprehensive handbook to recognize, remove, and recover from abuse. And normally, Charlene, I would ask you to share a Romans 828 story before we jumped in to your book, but I think as we go into kind of how this came about, how uh, just your background, we're gonna hear the greater Romans 828 story as we have this conversation. So we're just gonna jump right in. Indeed, indeed. So this book is a result of the toughest and most challenging season of your life. Suffering from abuse from your now ex-husband for over 20 years. Tell us how you found freedom from that relationship and the path that led you to writing this book. Well, as you said, I was, um, you know, I was in a, an abusive marriage for, um, over 20 years, I, uh, you know, I, I thought I was in a, a Christian, I thought I had married a Christian man, but it, it became readily apparent that, um, that he was um, abusive very early on. And I just kept trying to make it work. Like so many um, Christian women, I just kept praying and praying and being patient and, and um, forgiving and forgiving. Yes. Forgiving. And, and just, um, you know, uh, then we, you know, uh, had children together. And so we want to, you know, like most women, we stay together for our children and, and uh, just keep trying to make it work and keep praying for him and trying to drag him to marriage conferences. And, and, you know, I had a stack of marriage books that, oh, I'll try this or try that. And um, uh, I didn't really call it abuse. Like most Christian women, I, 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 you know, I, he had a strong personality, you know, he was a, a leader at work. He was a, a you know, a, a successful businessman. So I, I didn't have that word in my lexicon because I didn't think that applied to me. I wasn't getting, you know, beaten. Uh, but there came a point, um, and as, um, as most women can tell you, abuse escalates over time. So it started with emotional and financial abuse, and then it, it's, it escalated to, to physical and sexual abuse and spiritual abuse. And there was a time in, um, in January of 2012 where I, um, I had written him a, a long letter. I'm an, I'm an attorney, and, and so that's how I communicate. And he wasn't listening anytime I, I tried to tell him uh, or ask him to, to be kind, you know, just be nice. And that was just not, you know, he couldn't do that. So I, I wrote him a letter outlining the abuses of 20 years and I asked him to go get counseling. And he just read the letter and said, hey, if it was that, it's not that bad. If it was that bad, you would have left 10 years ago. Mm. And I, I was, I was, you know, I was shocked if he wasn't going to do anything. But he, 
instead of going to counseling, he went to his uh, doctor and got a bottle of Viagra and showed me who was in charge for the next, until the day I left. Um, mm -hmm. He raped me every morning um, after the kids went to school and every evening after the kids went to bed, um, twice a day, every day, until finally um, it was Good Friday of, uh, of 2012, a, couple, a few months later when I, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. He wasn't changing. Nothing was happening other than he was getting more and more aggressive. He was stalking me at work. He was stalking me at home. <laughs> I was getting raped twice a day. I couldn't even concentrate at work because of the daily, the daily abuse. And, and I just left with an overnight bag and, um, and, and went into hiding literally for two years. Not a soul knew where I was um, because I knew he would come and find me and I knew he would use my friends. He would call them up and, and ask where I was. And, um, and that's exactly what he did. He, he called my friends and, and asked me where I was. And, and fortunately, none of them knew where I was. They, they couldn't, um, they didn't have to lie <laughs> um, to protect me and they weren't in, in danger themselves, which is what I had hoped. And um, so, you know, we, we tried marriage counseling for a year and it was real obvious that he wasn't sorry for any of the um, for any of the abuses and and so you know finally we went through this horrible divorce and anyone who's gone through a divorce with an abusive person knows that the abuse only escalates um, if they still think there's some chance of, of reconciliation like when we were going to a marriage counseling they'll you know, they'll cry crocodile tears and have false apologies and, and, and that. But once they realize that you're not coming back, then it, they're just very vindictive and they start a smear and slander campaign against you and they turn your church against you and they turn your friends against you and they turn uh, your children against you. It's something called parental alienation. Um, they'll hide assets. They lie about their finances. It's a very predictable series of events. Um, uh, but I didn't know I was in it, and I, I had not done um, my research on on these um, uh, narcissists and sociopaths. Um, so finally, at the end of this horrible, you know, time of getting a divorce and, and just going very alone, um, the Lord was with me, and I just really dove into my and dove into my Bible and um, and started. I, I had to go to another church because my church supported him. Um, they really they just kept letting him, letting him go there. And, and, um, and it, wasn't, it was unsafe for me to go to my own church that I had served on the board of and been a Sunday school teacher and led mission, um, you know, short-term mission. So I went to, you know, I started going to another church because I really knew I needed to be next to God. And God led me right to the one I needed. It was just this wonderful, spirit-filled church of wonderful, wonderful folks. And um, I stumbled across this lady's Bible study and they were just such wonderful spirit-filled women. And they really reminded me how God loves us and like his daughters there. And, and so they gave me a whole new um, appreciation for, for, for my faith and brought me closer to him. And, and after I had done some healing, the Lord said, well, I want you to go back and help other women. <laughs> and I thought, ooh, okay. <laughs> so I dipped my toes in the, in the water and, and started a support group um, for women. I, our local domestic violence organization here is called A Safe Place. So I reached out to them and said, I'd like to help you start one. So I 
I took some training, I got certified. By this time I had taken, I, I had done thousands of hours of my own research to understand what narcissistic personality disorder it was and antisocial personality disorder and, and um, domestic abuse and how, you know, these are all intertwined. Um, so I'd done literally thousands of hours of my own research and um, then I got certified and we, uh, we started uh, this first um, support group in, in Lake Forest right where I'd lived for 20 years with my, with my wow. abuser. And lo and behold, the women that came were friends that I knew. They were the wow. moms of my, my children's, you know, best friends that I, you know, never, never knew. And the Lord said, I'm going to put people there and you, they need to be there and you need to be there. So don't give up on this project. So I, you know, and lo and behold, here, here comes people that I had known from my church that I had gone to and, and other people. And, um, and then he said, well, you know, I'm not just, uh, we're not just going to have one. So we started another one in um, a town a few minutes away. And then he called me to, um, to start my own law practice to help women um, get out of abuse in the courtroom. And I thought, oh, you've got the wrong girl, Lord. <laughs> this, is, this is not me. I was a corporate attorney and um, litigators are just known for, you know, they're feisty and, and they're, they fight all day long. And, and I said, that's not me, Lord. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just want everyone to get along. And he goes, I know that. <laughs> he goes, I know that's your nature. He says, but I'm calling you. And so we had this conversation. We went back and forth. And, and he says, um, he said, I need you to be in the courtroom because one, you've had your own personal experience. You know what it's like. Two, you have a law degree which I gave you, by the way, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, I healed you in record time. Um, and I've given you resources so that you can do this. So, you know, off you go. And, uh, and, and then he said, and I'm going to make you a warrior because then you know it's going to be me, not you, that gives you these victories. I thought, All right. I got nothing, <laughs> right? <laughs> You win, you win. So I started my law practice in 2016. And then after I started that, he says, and now I want you to write the book. Mm. Oh, goodness. Is all the things that the questions you had, the things you went through, the things your clients are going through, the things in, that you know, people in, this, in the support groups are going through. People need to know that. And there's not a book out there that has it all in one place. So put it all in one place. Everything that a woman needs to know to to recognize abuse, to get out safely, and, and to heal. So we started on that process, and he said, you know, you write it, and I'll, I'll open the doors. I'll find your publisher. I'll get it in the hands of women that need it. I'll, I'll do the rest. And she went, okay, we'll do it. So that's been my project for the last, I don't know, five years. And, um, and then this whole Me Too movement started, and... Um, so the, the eyes of the world are a little bit more open to domestic abuse. And now COVID's here and we know domestic abuse is on the rise because of that. So um, I think this is God's timing to get this, to get this out. And, and not only to women, but to churches who desperately need to know how to deal with this in their own congregations. Yeah. And it's sad that so little, uh, in the form of resources and training and helping the clergy understand, you can't just say, you know, 
it's going to be okay. Go back and serve and submit to your husband and love him and win him over without a word. And all those scriptures that are used to send women back into, you know, sometimes fatal situations where they lose their life because no one is standing against that evil and they haven't been helped to do that. That's exactly right. Um, All too often, um, pastors don't want to recognize evil when it is right before them. It's, you know, it's easy to call, you know, a terrorist in the Middle East evil, or, you know, we look at the Twin Towers falling down and say that's evil. But when someone is sitting in your congregation with a face and a name, and you know them, um, it's hard to call it evil. But that's what it is. Domestic violence is evil. And let's just call it what it is. When people destroy their own families, that's evil. And that is not what God um, wants for us. So um, the pastors are very, have a very difficult time calling it out. And they do give women dangerous advice, um, not just wrong, but dangerous advice. And God calls us to run from evil. Um, and in Second Timothy 3, he, you know, he lays out the description of a narcissist and a sociopath right there. And he says, have nothing to do with them. You know, the regular verses on, on, you know, on marriage are, are applicable. And this goes for most marriage books. Most marriage books and marriage counseling are apply to, to regular marriages where you have um, two good people who want the best for each other. They want the best for their marriage and they're both willing to change to make it good for each other. But when you're dealing with abuse, you have one person who doesn't care about, not only doesn't care, but is trying to destroy the other person. He's not going to change. He's no matter what you try to do in a in counseling session or your marriage books or what have you, he's, he's dead set on destroying his family and his, particularly his wife. That's a whole different ball game. And we not, we need to recognize that that is the case in, in, in abusive situations and change our approach to that and change our advice. And support the victim instead of the abuser. Exactly. Yeah. All too often, pastors support uh, the abusers. And I get that from my clients all the time. Yeah. Either they do nothing, which in effect supports an abuser, um, or, um, or they'll actively, you know, have them volunteer or, you know, come on with us to the you know, whatever vacation they're on or pilgrimage or, or, you know, so it's, it's just decimating to a a woman who has spent her whole marriage trying to make it work. And um, the the church supports the abuser either by doing nothing or by, you know, putting their arm around that person. And, and that just emboldens the abuser to increase the abuse because there's nothing more exciting to an abuser than to have played and fleeced the entire church. So now he's got the pastor on his side thinking that he's a good guy and the church on his side thinking he's a good guy. He's already lied to his friends. He's, you know, saying what a good guy he is, but behind closed doors, he's continuing that abuse to her. And there's nothing that emboldens him more to, to um, escalate the abuse than to think I've I've got the whole church believing me. I've just snowed him. So, and isn't that exactly what Satan would love to do? And he does, I mean, he is just so happy 
that he can send these abusers into the church where they can hide out and Absolutely. and then not have anyone confront them because they know they figured out the words to say and to pretend oh, repentance yeah. when it's needed and all, all you know it's all very um tactical and very strategic very cunning oh yeah and that's what evil people do they hide in the church they sure do they sure do they they hide because it gives them a, a cloak of respectability and and then of course they play the pity card yeah. poor me my wife left me you know and that, that's <laughs> and uh, and that's a great way to get the next victim in, right? Because they see him sitting in a church and volunteering and being surrounded by his church friends and the pastor and they, oh, he must be a good guy. She must be crazy, just like he said. So, you know, he just repeats the process um, over again and, you know, it, it repeats over and over. Um, so, yeah, you're exactly right. They're hiding in the church. To so, Okay. In the U.S. alone, one in three women, so that's 35%, are the victim of severe physical violence, stalking or rape by an intimate partner in their lifetime, and nearly half suffer emotional and verbal abuse and coercive control. So sadly, that number is on the rise in 2020 because of COVID and the quarantine. Domestic violence and abuse is an epidemic why is more not being done to squash these numbers? Can, can, as a society, can we do anything to evoke lasting change? Well, there's always going to be evil out there, um, certainly. But um, I think we can by educating ourselves. You know, uh, 30 years ago when I was raising my kids, there was nothing about bullying in the schools. Now bullying in the schools is, is a common thing. And, and so I'm hoping that we talk about domestic abuse um, and that becomes a commonly talked about thing, just like now we talk about bullying in the schools or, or 30 years ago, people didn't talk about breast cancer, but now we talk openly about breast cancer and we have NFL, <laughs> you know, players with little pink ribbons on their, on their um, clothes. So I would love this to be a, and I would hope that this book starts that conversation um, so one, I think we can educate ourselves, but two, I, I think we could, the church in particular needs to be a, a leader in this area. Yeah. Um, they are not a leader in an area they absolutely should be because those numbers are the same for Christian women as they are for non-believers. So when you have 35% of the women in, sitting in your congregation that will at some point be a victim of rape, or severe physical abuse or stalking, and half of them have been uh, a victim of um, coercive control or emotional and verbal abuse. Those numbers are astounding. But lo and behold, seminaries don't have classes on domestic abuse or how to how to uh, how to address this. So I would love to see the church be on the on the cutting edge of let's do something. This is wrong. Of course, that means that the other person in that relationship may also be going to that church. So that requires them to have, um, you know, to have some courage to stand up and do the right thing. And I think that's where churches are really missing the boat. Not only do they not understand domestic abuse, but they are unwilling to impose church discipline, which, um, which is the only thing that may possibly um, 
you know, change this. Um, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 5 exactly what churches need to do when there is unrepentant, serious sin. And very, very few churches are willing to take a stand, um, call abuse evil, call a sinner <laughs> what he, you know, and, and, and make the church a safe place for, um, for the sheep, the victims of abuse, instead of a haven for the wolves. Um, and, and so many of them, you know, are successful, powerful, you know, on the elder board, big givers. So you've got that going on, you know, kind of trying to get the pastor to minimize the wrong that they see or that they hear about. They don't want to believe it they don't because want to. there's too big of a loss. That's well, that's right. There's a couple things going on. And let's not forget that sometimes the pastor is also an abuser. Yep. So particularly in male dominated churches where only males are are ordained and only males get the seat on the elder board and only males get the seat on the deacon board and only males uh, are those that run the show and you know the women are just the, the secretaries and the Sunday school teachers. So when there's not women elders, there's a very skewed um, there's a very skewed uh, idea of what abuse is. But um, but you're absolutely right. Um, so we we need to. Um, we need to, to have, we need to actually take the Bible seriously. And, but, but what often goes on is, is what you're, what you described as what's called cognitive dissonance. When um, you want to believe someone is a good person. I mean, we, we all have a, a need to belong um, and we, we have a need to belong to a family, to, to a, a, a group of people, whether that's a church or a business association or whatever, we want to believe that we belong to a group of good people. And we want to believe that that person sitting next to us in the pew is a good person, is a good guy. And, um, but when you're faced with the facts or, you know, pictures or evidence that he's a monster, we don't, we don't, those are two opposite things and our mind cannot hold two opposite things at the same time. So we are trying to resolve this cognitive dissonance. And so um, as a, as opposed to accepting the facts that, well, yeah, he's actually the monster as opposed to this good guy. We try to dismiss the facts. So we'll say, well, she's lying. She's exaggerating. Those, those pictures were doctored. That video was doctored. The, the, uh, uh, you know, she's exaggerating, you know, she's, she's, she's got a mental illness. I mean, let's, you know, all of the things oh, yeah. that, you, that you can think of to discredit, the wife so that you can go ahead and, and keep believing he's a good guy and we want him in our church because you know he pays a lot of money and blah yeah. blah blah because if you actually believed he was a monster well then you'd have to do something about that exactly and that's that's a mess that's messy to get someone kicked out of a church right that's yeah. messy to support the the wife um and make him leave because he's not going to leave willingly. He that's his territory, and he's going to claim that territory. So, um, so it, that's a that's a messy thing. So it's much easier to discredit her. And guess what? She's going to leave that church anyway because it's unsafe for her to go. So that yeah. that just takes care of everything, right? Nice and neat and tidy. She's crazy. She's. But then he'll uh, go on and do it again to someone else. So right. you're like you as a pastor are responsible for that. That's right. That's right. But it. If you discredit her and she leaves, that makes it so much easier as a pastor. You don't have to do anything, right? So, so and that's okay. what happens over and over again. 
so the word that rang um, as you were talking about cognitive dissonance is confirmation bias. Isn't that what's going on too? We look for things that will confirm that he's okay. Of and course. Yep. So that's what we, we want. We want to, we don't want to admit we could have been wrong about this guy and that we missed it and it's right before our eyes and we're not seeing it. So we look for anything we can that kind of confirms that he's really not a bad guy. Right. And they're, and abusers are great at pretending to be great guys. You know, they, they're charming uh, and, and uh, you know, those that are very successful in the business world know how to be charming and know how to, you know, have a conversation and, and, you know, glad handle. So, um, so many times the women that come to me say, gosh, you know, everyone is fooled by this, this persona that he puts on, but behind closed doors is completely di different. And that is one of the primary characteristics of, of abusers is they have this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde personality. So they're, they're one way to everybody else, but something else behind closed doors. And isn't that what Jesus called hypocrites? Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. So in the book, you share the three R's to help victims of abuse find freedom. Tell us about those and how they help. Okay. Um, yeah, the, the three R's um, is recognize, remove, and recover uh, from, from domestic abuse. The first one, and we take, you know, the first third of the book or so, just recognizing what abuse is. And to recognize abuse, you have to figure out what does healthy look like? And for so many women, particularly Christian women, uh, and those who have um, been in a relationship with their husbands since they were very young and haven't had a lot of other romantic relationships, we don't even know what healthy looks like. Um, maybe we were raised in a dysfunctional family and so, you know, we didn't get a good idea of what healthy looks like. So we talk about what health looks like and then we, we talk about what the different forms of abuse looks like so that we can, you know, recognize it. And I go into specific tactics that abusers use, very detailed tactics so people can, can recognize, um, can recognize uh, the different tactics that uh, abusers use. Um, and many women, and I, you know, I was one of them, um, think, well, if I'm not being beaten, it's not domestic abuse. And actually, most abusers think that as well. Um, but we, we really know, need to know that abuse is, a, is a, an entire system of behaviors and attitudes and, and, and things that are said um, to gain control and to maintain power and control. So that can be a whole lot of different things. Um, emotional abuse, emotional and verbal abuse is the most common form because it's it's just so easy. Um, and so that's actually in 100% of abusive relationships because that's the gist of, of abuse. Um, all forms of abuse are meant to hurt a person's spirit and soul and in, in feelings and emotions. So, so that's, you know, that's an easy way to, to do it. So there's emotional and verbal abuse. Um, there's also financial abuse. And um, that's a great way to keep a person in a um, in an abusive relationship, if she has absolutely no, no way to leave and no access to funds, um, that's, that actually occurs in 99% of abusive relationships. Wow. 
right. It's, um, it's, it happens almost in every one because that's a great way to, to keep someone in abuse. Either she doesn't have access and he has all the money or he refuses to work and she's you know, now supporting him and the whole family because he's you know, leeching off the, his spouse. So it seems like these two opposites are the, are the, the most common forms. Um, there's also spiritual abuse when we don't even think of that, but when you're, when your spouse says, oh, you got to forgive and forget because that's what, that's what Jesus does. And, and, um, and you have to, um, you know, you have to stay in a divorce because God hates divorce. And so scripture or spiritual abuse is, is twisting the scriptures to, um, make the victim feel that she has to, um, stay in this abusive relationship, and he uses them to um, to justify his his abuse. Um, and that's why it's so important for women to actually know the scriptures, because you know when they in get context, twisted, yeah, in the context, so that so that they don't get um, you know sucked into that um, to that whole um, using the scriptures and twist having them twisted against her. Um, another form uh, of abuse, of course, is physical abuse, which which we happens in actually 98% of situations, but it doesn't always mean you're getting hit. Sometimes physical abuse means no bruises are left and you leave somebody else to do the dirty work. For example, one really common um, tactic of physical abusers is, is they'll dump her out of the, uh, of the car miles away in a bad neighborhood or in the middle of a cornfield or wherever, and she has to figure out a way how to get home. He's just pushed her out of the car and now she she she's without a, a phone or without money without anything and 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 she has to figure out how to get home uh, another common thing is is to not take her to the hospital or or give her medical care when emergency medical care is needed um you know i one of one of the ladies i worked with had her babies at the house because he refused to take her to the hospital so these are these are some forms of physical abuse that don't leave bruises or scars and you know, again, <laughs> abusers are- They leave emotional very, scars though. They sure do. And they're very creative, right? Yeah. Um, and then the final form of abuse is, um, is sexual abuse. And that happens in the vast majority of cases. And in those majority of cases, um, you know, I, I think the numbers around 68% that, that um, sexual abuse happens in, uh, in abusive relationships. And of those cases, 80 percent of those times, it's multiple rapes over periods of years, um, and that's something women don't talk about. I don't even report. In fact, rape is the least reported and the least prosecuted crime of all crimes. Um, the numbers are outstanding. I mean, they're just mind-boggling. Of a thousand rapes that are actually committed, um, only two hundred and thirty are are actually reported. So. Twenty-three percent, because women are embarrassed and they're ashamed. Um, there's a shame attached to it, even though there shouldn't be. And then, out of those, only forty-six are sent to the prosecutor for actual prosecution, and nine are actually brought to trial. Of those thousand rapes, only four rapists are actually incarcerated. So, in ninety-nine point six percent of the cases, the rapist goes completely scot-free. And those numbers are even worse when it comes to marital rape. Of the thousand rapes that happen, only 6% are ever reported. Well, because I'm sure there's that uh, 
you know, you're my wife. Uh, this is what you owe me. So, the, so they probably don't even call it rape in their minds because. Yeah, of course not. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You, you consented. You know, that's what they, uh, they yep. always say, well, you consented. You agreed. Yeah. Um, and it, actually for, to an abuser, if anything happened, you agreed because it happened. So there you, or you must have agreed, right? And that's, and then they're, they're, you know, skewed, illogical, warped mind. That's, that's how, that's how they think, you know, if, you, if it happened, you agreed. Wow. Um, I was just reading uh, this week how in Chicago, um, the, the, um, the police and getting actually, you know, charging criminals with, with um, sexual assault is, it's horrendous. It's, it's, you know, around 10%. That's, <laughs> that's crazy. But That's ridiculous. So yeah. we're, so this is recognize. This is recognized. Yeah. So just, so that's just recognizing and on all of everything that's in, in entailed and, you know, why we stay and, you know, we talk about why we stay. I mean, there's a zone reason. So then the next section is, is how do you get out safely? You know, removing yourself because really the only the two decisions that you, there's only two options you stay in abuse and it's going to get worse or you remove yourself and you know find some freedom but so those are your two options so how do you do that safely because when you leave there's a whole series of events that is absolutely going to happen you know they're going to play the pity card poor me you left they're going to be extra vindictive so the abuse is going to escalate they're going to start the smear and slander campaign um so that you're isolated from your church and your friends and your family um and they're going to start parental alienation, if they haven't already, you know, your mom is the reason why we're in this situation. And, you know, she took your college money and she, you know, went off and had an affair and she did that, you know, she's crazy. She's has mental illness, whatever he can come up to, to say, to turn the children against the mother. Um, he'll hide assets. He'll be dragging, you know, be drugged through the court system for, for months, if not years. So, you know, there's a whole series of things that's going to happen. So how do we, how do we protect ourselves? So there's a, you know, this, this middle section is, is how, how do we go through that and come out as unscathed as possible? Because, you know, it, all relationships with abusers end badly, very badly. And, yeah. and we just have to, you know, brace ourselves and, and what we can do to, to protect ourselves. And then the, the last part talks about healing and moving forward. Um, because that's the, you know, that's the exciting part. Um, the, that's the recover, right? That's, that's the recovery part. The recovery part. And, and it talks about, you know, really God does the healing for us. It, it talks about the spiritual battle because um, it is a spiritual battle, especially in your middle of the fight when you're trying to leave. There's, a, there's an enormous spiritual battle going on and we need to be aware of that and we need to get our weapons. And while we're in the fight, we, I mean, I often liken it to a, uh, you know, World War II, where, where peace-loving people came out of the, the farms and, the, and, and the, the schools where they taught and, and they, wherever they came from, and they fought because they knew it was evil, and it was a fight that they couldn't lose. And so for a period of time, they geared up, put on their, you know, put on their weapons and, and, and geared up for it. And, and that's what a woman really has to do. She has to gear up, and it's not her normal uh, nature to do that, but it's, it, we need to turn into warriors because it's a spiritual battle and then we need to heal and then we can get back to a gentle lifestyle. But for a while, it's a, it's a huge spiritual battle. 
Um, so we talk about the different things that uh, we can do to healing. And, the, and I think one of the keys to healing is to take all the, the lies that Satan has, has, you know, assaulted us with and that we've actually believed to some extent and, and to identify them as lies and to reject them and to replace them with God's truth. Mm-hmm. The first spiritual weapon that God gives us in, in the spiritual armor is the belt of truth. And it's his truth. It's God's truth. That's, that's our, the truth that, we're, that we need. So identifying all the lies that our abuser and Satan has told us for years and years, and, you know, you're unworthy, you're unloved, no one else is going to want you, you're a horrible person, you're a horrible Christian, you're, you know, just the, they're endless. And when we can identify each one and say, no, that's a lie. I reject that, Satan. And you replace that with God's truth. That's when the healing starts and when we can actually come to a place where we say the only opinion that matters to me is God's opinion, not my abuser's opinion, not his friends and minions opinion, not the old church's opinion. Nobody else's opinion matters except God's opinion. That's who I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the place of healing. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So in the book, you explain the correlation between the narcissist, sociopath, psychopath, and other abusers, and how each one thinks and acts. Why is it imperative that a woman in an abusive relationship, or their confidant, to know the hallmarks of each? Well, I think when we know, when we know what we're dealing with, um, we we can then, we have the tools to work with it. Um, If you think that that what you're dealing with is just a cold, you're gonna take two aspirin, go to bed and wait for 10 days and it's gonna be over. But if what you're really dealing with is terminal cancer, that diagnosis is a whole different um, treatment and course of of events. So when we know what we're dealing with is a narcissist or sociopath or psychopath, that's a whole lot different than saying our marriage needs a little tweaking and we need to go to the marriage counselor and get a tune-up. Those, <laughs> it, it's the difference between having terminal cancer and you know having a cold. So we know that what we're dealing with is a dangerous, you know, this, these are dangerous people um, and, and they're evil. I mean, the, the, the health, you know, the mental health professions have to call it something. So they give it these, you know, these monikers, the narcissist or sociopath, psychopath. But for people of faith, we know that that's just evil that has taken a foothold in somebody and that person has embraced it. They have rejected God and they have embraced evil and they're, they have no intention of changing. Um, so when we know that, we can act accordingly. We're not going to beg and plead <laughs> with someone that has completely rejected God because that person's not going to change. You know, just like God's nature doesn't change. We know he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's always going to be good. He's always going to be just. Satan's nature never changes either. Um, It does us no good to plead with Satan to please be a good guy. Um, It does us no good to um, keep asking God to zap somebody that has rejected him and say, you know, please make him into a good guy. God doesn't work like that. But he gives, he gives his people the equipment to, to leave. Yeah. I'm sure um, people prayed for 
years, uh, for example, that Pharaoh's heart would change um, as he was abusing the Israelites. But guess what? God didn't change his heart, but he equipped his people and he brought Moses along so that they could leave. Once you know what you're dealing with, it's they're very predictable. Um, and, you know, this book outlines the the traits and, and what they do. And oftentimes I'll have people say, were you in my living room? Cause that's exactly what he said to me. I'm like, Nope. I just know they're very predictable. They have the same thought process. And, and um, so it's good to, you know, we, we need to know that so that we, uh, you know, again, can, can um, get out. But also when they start saying those things, you know, well, you're the crazy one, you're the abuser, you're the, okay, you can identify, well, that's, that's called, you know, projection. That's, that's when, you know, projection is when someone accuses you of what they're most guilty of themselves. Exactly. So when they accuse you of lying, you know that they're lying. When they accuse you of having an affair, you know, they've had an affair. When they accuse you of hiding money, you know that they're hiding money. It's so (laughs) it's uh, knowing, knowing that and knowing, you know, the gaslighting is when they're trying to, you know, they do or say something and then um, call you the crazy one. No, I didn't do that. I didn't say that. And when you, when you can identify that as a tactic and like, okay, we're playing the game now and yep. you know what's going on. So it's, it's just, it's imperative actually that women know what they're dealing with. Yeah. And it empowers them and it, it empowers us to see, exactly. okay, this is a tactic. This is the way they operate. This is not about me. This is right. who he is. And you know, I don't have to put up with it. Not, I mean, and not putting up with it. I don't have to, you know, this is abusive. This is not God's heart for any of his children. Exactly. God wants us to be in loving, life-giving relationships. I mean, that's what marriage was for, to to be an example of God's love uh, for us to, to the rest of the world. And and that's, you know, the primary purpose. But, uh, you know, other than that is to be emotionally encouraging and to, to help each other out and supportive and to raise godly children and, um, you know, to, to be a blessing to people in your family and your communities uh, with, a, with a person who shares those values. So there is nothing that an abusive relationship has that can serve any of God's purposes at all. And so when we finally realized that God didn't, you know, didn't mean for me to be an abuse, he meant for me to be in a loving relationship that's life-giving, whew, that's a life changer. It is. It is. And, you know, I was going to, the next question I wanted to ask you was, you know, having been in dysfunctional relationship for so long, most women who have been in that relationship for a long time they don't know what's healthy. And you just described what a healthy marriage is. And that is, you know, that's so important to grasp that, no, this is not God's will for you. This is not healthy. This is toxic. And uh, we need, and, and especially when we've grown up with that kind of treatment that we've seen between our mom and dad, you know, it's, it's, that's normal to us. And it really, we have to have that change in our perspective to understand that's not normal. That is so abnormal and so not like God. And I think a lot of Christian women, um, 
get into abuse because they they don't understand um, what a healthy marriage looks like and what a partner is. And, and instead of choosing someone that's you know emotionally and spiritually um, mature and healthy, you know, we choose someone that's a project. Oh, well, I can, I know he's had a hard childhood. I can love him into this. Right. Or I know he's been a drug addict and a, an abuser and this or da, da, da. Um, but I, I, with, I, can you know, I can change that. Or, or, you know, we have a sense of pity for somebody. And, and so we, we take on these people that are projects instead of someone who's already emotionally and, and spiritually mature and, um, and sometimes we don't know they aren't because they're such good liars at the beginning. There's certainly right. a, a whole, um, you know, persona that they, that they put on, but, but sometimes it's, it's, it's us. And we don't realize that we as God's daughters need someone who can, who is, you know, emotionally and spiritually mature, just like, you know, and, and us, we need to be emotionally and spiritually mature to, to have the best marriage um, and the best life that God has planned for us. Amen. Well, if we have some women listening today who want to connect with you, um, want to get a copy of the book, uh, what's the best way? Are you on social media? Do you have a website? Tell us the best way for people to connect with you. I'm on social media. Yeah, I'm on Facebook. Um, I have, they can go to abusecare.org, which is my um, a, a, an organization that I started to help, um, help women heal and, and to uh, find hope and healing after domestic abuse and also to um, help churches um, deal with this. I have um, seminars for, for pastors and churches on how to deal with it. And we address this in the book, you know, 13 things that churches need to do to help you know, support victims and, and hold abusers accountable and 13 things that are the biggest mistakes and they need to avoid those. Um, so, so I do seminars for churches as well. So you can find me at abusecare.org uh, or find me on Facebook. Of course, the, the book is available on Amazon, um, Walmart, Books A Million. Um, you probably know better than I do. Where, all, where it's I'm available there. all over the place and at Redemption Press as well on our bookstore. Yeah, some people have contacted me saying, you know, they want to use this book for uh, a curriculum for um, a their own domestic uh, abuse support groups. And if they're gonna buy in bulk, they can get them from Redemption Press. Exactly. And, um, get a discount for that. Um, but it's, it's really used to be a curriculum, not just you know, for an individual woman who's getting out of it, but if you're running a support group, if, you're, if you as a pastor are trying to get educated, um, it's, it's good for that. It, it's great for um, classes. It, even at, I'm hoping that since seminaries will take a look at it and, and use this as a, as a textbook to, as how they can really understand it. Because let's face it, there's, there's nothing there in seminaries uh, that, is, that um, helps pastors figure this out. So. Exactly. And who knew? Who knew when you and I met that and we decided we're going to do this project together? Who knew that it would come out in the middle of COVID when domestic violence has spiked. I mean, now that is God's timing because really that gives us a really, I think, a more um, opportunity to highlight it and spotlight it and get people to listen because they're, they are, they're seeing it and they're hearing it from the news. It's not just 
you know, you that's saying it, it's the news is even saying that it's uh, domestic violence is on the, has been crazy on the rise because of sure. uh, COVID. So I, now tell us, before we wrap up, I love what you did with the dust jacket of this is a hardcover book, eight and a half by 11. It is a textbook, really. But what did you do to uh, allow a woman to have it in her house and uh, be discreet? Well, we know that if you bring a four pound book that's, that says overcoming the narcissist, sociopath, the psychopath, and other domestic abusers into your house that has a narcissist, sociopathic, sociopath, psychopath, or other domestic abusers, that's not going to go well for you because they're, they're going to, you know, they're going to retaliate. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so the jacket has, um, there's a decoy. So you can take the jacket off and flip it on the other side. And on the other side is a, is a, a beautiful pink cover that says it's uh, inspiration for women, uh, poetry, proverbs, and promises for women, and you know flowers and butterflies and and uh, the back of it has a little blurb about this is written for women and all our wonderful roles that we play as wife and mother and sister and so on and so forth so it it's something that I you know a guy would never pick up and in fact I have my I have been blessed with a, a, a remarried to a wonderful man and his uh, men's group uh, asked them to vote on the, on the possible covers and uh, and they said yeah this is the one voted most likely that a guy would never pick up. <laughs> I love that talk about really ha getting some wisdom from God on how to protect this information and, and empower the woman to be able to have it in her home and have it as a resource without the abuser figuring it out. I love that. That is just so incredible. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today, Charlene. It is just has been a joy to work with you and to hear your expertise on this area. I, I just cannot thank you enough for your work and your commitment to exposing the truth and uh, empowering women to um, recover. And it's just it's just a blessing for many. And so thank you for your work. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm just glad let, God lets me be on his team. So Amen. I, I'm thrilled about that. Amen. So. Well, thanks for being with us today on the All Things Podcast. Thank you, Athena. Well, thanks for joining us today for the All Things Podcast, brought to you by Redemption Press and the Romans 828 Bookstore. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd like to recommend the Redeemed and Restored podcast that I host over on my YouTube channel on video and on audio as well. Check out AthenaDeanHoltz.com for details. So thank you for listening today, and I'll see you next week as we continue to spotlight our Romans 828 God, who really does work all things together for good. Bye for now.